turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. The following program is sponsored by Rosenthal Wealth Management. Fairfax. I have a question about renting versus buying. I'm an older guy. I'm 57. I've just retired from the federal government after living overseas for 26 years. And during that time, we didn't have any housing costs, but we saved our money. So we have a substantial cash position. But the intent of which was to buy a house eventually. But we're only going to be in this area probably another, I don't know, six to ten years. And so... Our family size is changing. Our daughter has just gone off to college. Our son is getting ready to go to college next year. And I don't need to tap into that housing money that I've saved to send the kids to college. That's taken care of. But I'm just not entirely sure whether I should rent or buy. We're renting right now while we make this decision and get settled. Bill, all the reasons that you just listed out are reasons to continue to rent and reasons to buy. I had this conversation, actually, coincidentally enough, with a client of mine earlier this week. She's wanting to sell and then rent. She's a little bit older than you, but that's what she's wanting to do. So the risk on buying now in this area, as you say, and wanting to move out six to ten years from now is that the real estate values will go down or that the money you've pumped into this house, you won't get back out. That's the real risk that you're wrestling around with. On the other hand, what happens if the values go up? So it really depends on what we would call the opportunity cost of what you're going to be doing with your dollars. Right now, yes, you are throwing away rental income, and you have no tax deduction associated with that, but you're also not paying anybody interest either, right? You also don't have to deal with property taxes. You also don't have to deal with all the maintenance cost of a rental type of a property. But yet at the same time, if your investments are growing, you know, think about this. Let's suppose you're going to put down money on a house, okay, and the property value doesn't go up before you sell it. Versus now, if you would have rented, you would have had more money in the marketplace growing for yourself at compound interest, right? Or if you put money into the house and the house goes down. 
What happens if you put money into the house and the house goes up? Where are your dollars invested now? If your dollars are just sitting in the bank, then you're effectively getting a negative rate of return once you talk about inflation and taxes because the interest rates are so low in the bank. So those are lazy dollars that need to be employed one way or the other. So it's a very interesting conversation with you and your wife. Sit down with your advisor and run it out in a financial plan and take a good, strong look at it all. There's really nothing wrong with both ways. Ultimately, when you get down the road and you fully retire wherever you want to be, you want to have what I would call rent control in your situation, which means get a home, get it paid for so nobody can sit there in your 60s and your 70s and your 80s and keep jacking up your rent. Do you see what I mean? That's one way to look at it. Yeah, that's another way to take a look at it as well. So your math formula on this whole thing, Bill, is really opportunity cost, what to do with the dollars if you buy or if you rent. That's the math that you really need to play out. How do I make that risk calculus with either scenario? How can I do the research? Like, How can I look into the crystal ball, as it were, and see what real estate prices might do versus what the stock market might do. Is there a resource well, for well, if, that kind of thing? You can read the tea leaves of the economy, but nobody can predict what the markets are going to do. Nobody can also predict what the real estate market's going to do either. You know, you could be in a booming real estate market, and then something could happen, God forbid, in that area and destroy the real estate market. You know, I mean, there's just all kinds of things that can go on with all of that. There's risk in buying the property, and there's risk in not buying the property, too, and that's the opportunity cost of the dollars that you're talking about not employing into real estate or just keeping growing in the marketplace. But basically, you can graph it out a couple of different ways. Draw a graph out of the property staying the same, going down, going up. Take a look at the real estate taxes. Take a look at cost of homeownership versus benefits of renting and continuing to invest more dollars for yourself and then flip the formula around. I've got an advisor in my office that is good at that. She's very good at that kind of stuff, quick on the draw with a calculator. If you want, I'll have her give you a ring and step you through some formulas and stuff to take a look at it, okay? Oh, that would be excellent. Thank you. Yep, let me place you on hold, and Bob will get your contact information, and we'll have Dina give you a ring next week. Thanks for the phone call. We're going to go ahead and bring on Catherine, who's calling us now. Also from Maryland, Catherine. I'll be 69 this year, and I have an annuity, but I want to know how long can I pay into this annuity. Catherine, is the annuity an IRA annuity or a non-IRA annuity? It's an IRA. So you can only put money into an IRA as long as you have earned income, and once you're over 70 and a half, you can no longer contribute to an IRA. So it sounds like you have about a year left okay, in order so to I contribute as long as you're working. Yes. Well, I'm not working. I'm in retirement now. Yeah, you need to have earned income when you put the money into an IRA. Are you married? No. Okay. Then you're not going to be eligible to put money into that. If you like the annuity as your investment vehicle and you said, hey, you know what, I want to put more money into an annuity, you can. It would just be what's called a non-IRA annuity or a non-qualified annuity. So you can put money into that investment vehicle of choice. It Uh just wouldn't be an IRA. Now, if you stop and take a look at it, the money that you're putting into the IRA, it's tax deductible. Now, if you put money into a non-IRA and choose an annuity vehicle, so you just go open up the same annuity that you have 
but it's not an IRA contribution. So now you have two of them. Once the money goes in there, Catherine, it grows tax deferred because the annuity vehicle allows your money inside of it to grow tax deferred for you, meaning that while it's growing, there are no taxes. And another advantage there is you can move money around inside the annuity from different investment sub-accounts and not have to pay capital gains taxes. So it's all going to grow tax-deferred for you. The only difference is when it comes out down the road, you pay your taxes on your gain. So if you like the idea of the annuity being your investment vehicle and you want to contribute to it, you can do that, but it just won't be deemed an IRA contribution. So you just open up another account. If I'm ready to draw it out at 70 and a half, how would I know if I'll have enough money to last me into my older age? So, Catherine, in the annuity contract, you should have, there should be some literature for you as to the type of withdrawal program you're allowed to take on the annuity, whether it's a lifetime withdrawal, it's a variable withdrawal. It's a withdrawal income stream that still allows you to have ownership of all the cash. So if you ever needed to reach in and pull a lump sum out, you can do so. Or if you're going to annuitize the contract. So you have to look at the annuity contract itself to answer that question. I can have someone give you a call and step you through how to go about doing that for yourself if you like. Um, Okay. I'll call your office on Monday. Yeah, that's very important to really understand the type of income stream you're going to have. And a lot of annuities now, if you purchase this annuity, let's say within the last 10 years or so, you could have some of these what they call income-protected riders on them that no matter what happens in the marketplace or what happens in the account values of the annuity, it'll continue to pay you out for life. You need to understand the rules of engagement with those. In other words, if you withdraw too much in one given year, you could hurt the guarantees of it down the road further. So make sure that you understand what the rules are, the parameters of withdrawals that you're allowed to take out each year. And then that annuity will probably just keep on paying for you for a long time to come as long as you stay within those parameters for yourself. All right? Okay. Would that include that 5% that they give you for inflation? Well, if you have a 5% uh, rider on the annuity, it could be a 5% future growth of future income protection down the road, that could be what you're talking about. There's all different kinds of ones out there. It's almost like splitting hairs. One annuity company has something that's very similar to another annuity company, but it's slightly different. And so before I tell you the way it is, I need to find out what type of contract you have, and I need to read through it just a little bit. Just take me five or ten minutes or so. But that's what you have to understand is the ultimate answer to your question is, what are the rules for that particular annuity contract you have? And then sit down and we'll figure out how to maximize the income for yourself. That sounds great. Bill's on the line with us from Maryland. Bill, what's your question for Larry? I have a couple companies calling me. To reduce my credit card debt, and they want me to stop payment on my credit cards, I think it's for three months, and then give them money so that they can negotiate with the credit card companies, and they say usually they can get them then at least 50%. But I'm concerned about my credit rating, but they say after six months or a year, after you pay off the credit card, that the rating comes back up to where it was or better. William, I don't know about that, okay? I'd be concerned about your credit rating as well. I'd call your credit card companies yourself. I suggested that to these people, and they say, oh, don't do that because they'll tell you not to do it. 
But on the other hand, I'm worried about these people just getting a commission or payment as you know, their fee. Well, they're they're not going to do it for free. But let's take yes. a look at the bigger picture of this. Do you have means to pay the credit cards down? I would. Yes. Okay, then for whatever reason, you charged on them, so let's go ahead and forget about this other company and pay the debts down. Right, and then I wouldn't feel guilty about not paying the banks back fully. Exactly. Uh, All right, William, I appreciate the phone call. Keep listening. I appreciate that. And Tell I appreciate some friends. you, too. You're very good. Claudia's calling us from Silver Spring. Claudia, go ahead. I uh, hear about convertible bonds. A bit, and I really like to know more about it. Sure, convertible bonds are what's going to be a rising interest rate expanding economy marketplace. They tend to do better than your non-convertible bonds. Basically, you can convert those bonds into shares of common stock. So if you have a bond in XYZ company and it's a convertible bond, at some point you can convert it into shares of common stock. It's just another type of bond class. They're good. Are you looking at purchasing them, or do you have some now? No, what, I don't have story? any. I'm looking at uh, at purchasing. I just wanted to know the negatives and positives of uh, convertible bond. And is there a time commitment? No, there's no time commitment on your end, really. Obviously, if you buy the bond, the bond will mature at par value at some point in time down the road. You either need to hold it to maturity or act before then if you're either going to sell the bond or convert it to common shares of the stock there. But it is an asset class. It's good in an environment such like this. Usually you'll get a little bit higher yield on it, but the pricing could move a little bit more than a more stable type of a bond simply because it can convert into shares. But if you're buying it to look to convert into shares, you may just want to look at buying the stock to begin with. You need to really, Claudia, take a look at how you have your investments positioned now. How much money do you have in fixed income or bonds versus how much do you have in equities? And remember, the primary investment objective of bonds is current income. Growth is secondary. So if you're looking to say maybe, all right, I want to put a little bit of money into some convertible bonds here for a little while, get some interest before I convert into the stock, that's one story. Or you just might want to say, you know what, I'm just going to start dollar cost averaging out of my bonds right on over into the stock right there. So there's two or three ways to go about doing it. If you want, I'll put you on hold here, and I'll have Bob get your information. I'll send you out all kinds of stuff on convertible bonds, the do's and don'ts to it. Appreciate the phone call. Yep. Debbie from Gaithersburg, you're on the Larry Rosenthal Show. I am really new into this whole world of finances. I really don't know what I'm doing at all. Well, that's I'm okay. I'm sitting here with Chris, and we'll make something up for you. <laughs> yeah, we'll figure it out. All of us together. Well, I flipped on the radio last week, and I heard a show on Hero Radio about raft strategies and how you can invest your money in this raft strategies where you don't really lose anything, like they say it stays, the interest stays the same, but it can go up, but you're not going to really lose anything. So I haven't really done my research on it completely yet, but I wanted to ask you about it, if you have heard. Debbie, I've never heard of the term raft strategies, but based off of what you just said is that the interest rate is fixed for you, it can only go up, you can never lose money. There's a type of an annuity out there or a type of life insurance. They're called Mm -hmm. index contracts. And the statement is true that your money can never go below what you put in. Okay. All right? And as the markets rise, you will get a piece of the market going up. You won't get the full thing, but you'll get a piece of it going up. The problem with a lot of these contracts are that they really tie down or lock down your money. 
Most of them are extremely illiquid, and it's very difficult and challenging and sometimes extremely punitive to pull your dollars back out. So we like to make sure that people have liquidity and they understand from a transparency standpoint the exact type of investments they're getting into. And the reason I'm saying that is because every investment vehicle out there has pros and cons associated with it, Debbie. And this type of a product may be right for your family, and it might not be right for your neighbors down the street and around the corner, or vice versa. So before you put your money into any type of an investment, make sure you sit down with a professional who can help guide you through the prospectus, the brochure, and even call the company with questions that maybe he or she's not familiar with or you're not familiar with. Because in a lot of these products that guarantee you, quote-unquote, guarantee you no loss of principal, the liquidity is extremely difficult to get your money back out of many times. And oftentimes, the ultimate rate of return, because there's so many ceilings and caps involved with it, doesn't really end up being what you think it may end up being as far as performance down the road. I would well, get the brochure. You know, I, would, I would go ahead. Yeah, look into it more. Um, exactly. Know what you own. Understand what you own. Understand also what the risks are in an investment. You know, each month we bring in different industry vendors, annuity companies, insurance companies, mutual fund companies, ETF companies, managers, SMA account people, all different types of things. And one of the questions that I love asking them when they're saying, you know, hey, this is right for your clients, that's right for your clients. Debbie, one of the questions I love asking them, and they squirm and they get a little, like, pause in their answer is I say, okay, so explain to me where the hole is in this. What's the risk from an economic standpoint? What's the risk if my client puts money into this, if the market turns into 2008 again? Or what's the risk if they raise taxes or they lower interest rate or whatever it may be? And they just sit there and they look at you like, well, you know, I've never really been asked that before. So always go into a new investment product with asking what's the risk? What has to go wrong in the economy for this thing to take a downturn? Okay, that's a good question. What do you recommend? Like, I am really new to this financial world. I'm recently a widow, and my husband did all the financial stuff. And now I'm thrown into this time where I have to make these decisions, and I don't understand any of it, you know? So I'm. Well, Debbie, first of all, my condolences. I'm sorry to hear about the loss of your husband. And. Here's the way that I would approach this now is I would sit down and get some financial education, and I would interview two or three different financial advisors. Come into our office and interview us, and one of the things that you want to find right now is sort of a trusted type of an advisor that can step you through everything, and you can actually hire a financial advisor on an hourly basis to help guide you through all the investment decisions. And you can work with another advisor, and this person can be sort of an overseer of your situation if you wanted like that. Like if you said, well, hey, Larry, I really like this person who's talking to me about this raft program or whatever it is, but I'm unsure about it, you can hire me or somebody else to oversee it and give you you know, suggestions and education on it all. But that's what I would do is sit down, draw a line in the sand with a financial advisor and say, look, here's my situation now, and this is what I envision down the road for my retirement or college funding for grandkids, or this is what I want to do with my home, and I want to buy a car every five and a half years, and I want to do this amount in vacation planning each year, and this is when I want to retire and travel and do all that kind of stuff. 
and so, basically so build out a, a financial plan. Side of how I want my life to look in the next however many years, you know. Correct. Kind of go That's in exactly. with an idea of what I want to do. That's exactly correct. We have a 133-point checklist of a financial plan. So stop and think for a moment how old you are now, and then every year that you age and that I age and Chris ages, every year that we all age. I don't age. You don't (laughs) age, Chris. There you go. It's because you're not eating donuts now, right? That's right. So every year that we age, Debbie, we're moving through different financial clocks and dates and timing issues with our retirement plans, with insurance things, the whole nine yards. So we'll lay that out in sort of a timeline for you and say, okay, now you're 60 years old. We need to start talking about how you're going to maximize Social Security. When are you going to take it? Are you going to take it early at 62 or defer to your normal retirement age or even 70? What are we going to do about your group life insurance? When does that expire? Is it portable? Just all these different dates and things all along the timeline, that's the way a financial plan needs to be built out. Okay. Okay, great. Well, thank you. That was very good. I wanted to – a friend of mine said – you know, I asked her about this plan, and she goes, well, why don't you call Larry on the radio show? And I said, really? And she goes, yeah. So that's why I called you. No worries. Well, I appreciate it. I'll tell you what, Debbie, let me put you on hold here, and if you want, you can uh, give Bob some of your information, and we'll send you out our financial planning toolkit, and it can get you started on this, okay? Okay, great. Thank you so much. Jeffrey, thanks for calling the Larry Rosenthal Show. You're on with Larry. I just retired. I'm 65, and I'm uh, wondering, am I allowed to refinance to put a little extension on my house? Yes, you are, Godfrey. You can refinance. Banks are income lenders, not necessarily asset lenders. So as long as you demonstrate the ability to repay the loan, they'll give you the loan. If you have a pension, Social Security, or in some case, even investments that are giving you income each month. So you need to work with a good mortgage lender who understands you're retired and you want to go ahead and look at doing that. Another way to look at doing it is simply getting a line of credit on your house as well. Okay, does that help? Yeah, that was good. Thank you. Okay, I appreciate the phone call, Godfrey. You have a great weekend. Catherine, thanks for calling. You're on with Larry. For the past year, my IRA only made like a 4.5% return. Now, my financial planner says that's a good return since I'm 61 and I'm going to retire at 62 and start drawing on those investments. Am I aggressive? I'm not aggressive enough. What's your pay? I'm in mutual funds and some money markets. Kathleen, that's a great question, but let me let me expand it a little bit more to get a total look at everything. So the rule here is that the closer you are in time to needing your money, the more conservative it needs to be. So my first question is, you're going to retire next year. You're going to need to spend down that money next year, or do you have other means of income and other dollars around as well? I am going to spend down on that money because I'm not going to start collecting Social Security till I'm 66. I tend to agree that the closer in time you are to needing the dollars, the more conservative it needs to be. Okay, but now now you've given me new pieces of information regarding Social Security. Why are you waiting to collect Social Security at 66 versus 62 when you retire? Because I'd like the 8% bump in the Social Security payment, so I figured... I would hold off until 66. Okay, so so Kathleen, the 8% bump happens from 66 to 70, but from 62 
to 66, you just have a discount of about 25% or so on what's going to happen. You're going to get a reduction. But here's the way you need to run these numbers out, okay? And it's different for everyone, but this is the math that you need to do. So you're choosing to spend your own money from 62 to 66, and then you're going to take Social Security, right? How how much more would your money grow if you chose not to spend your own money but take Social Security now and then letting your money grow for another five years at age 62, 63, 64, 65, and 66? It's only growing at, you know, 4, 4.5%. That's the return I got this year. But now it gives you another five years of growth opportunity. So when we sit down with someone, we run both calculations in a financial plan, Kathleen, and that's what I think, you know, you're asking me what I would do, and that's what I would say is go back and rerun these calculations. Because oftentimes people will get the idea, hey, I want to go ahead and defer my Social Security, and sometimes that's appropriate to do, and sometimes it's not. But basically what you're telling me right here, without me seeing all the numbers, is you're saying, hey, Larry, I'd rather spend my money versus the government's money for the next five years putting pressure on your own asset base. And ultimately yeah. down the road, one day when you pass and you're sitting in heaven, you can have more dollars left to pass on to your heirs, but you cannot pass on your Social Security. So sometimes it's better for people to take the Social Security a little bit earlier versus spending down their own dollars. That's the math that I want you to sit down with your financial advisor to work on. Does that make sense? Yep, yep. Would it be advantageous for in a marriage for one to start at 62 and then one to hold off to 70. So this way it yes, takes it, one piece of the other. It could very well be. And, you know, when we sit down with clients, we sit down and we do their entire Social Security maximization conversation. There's 70 or 80 different ways, Kathleen, that people can file and claim their Social Security benefits. Sometimes it's one spouse filing and suspending and the other spouse taking a spousal benefit and deferring theirs. There's so many different ways to do that that you need to run this out into your financial plan to see what's best for you and your spouse and your family. And oftentimes you'd be surprised at how you can max out and get out, you know, more money out of Social Security even earlier in life by doing this and saving some of your own dollars. So that's really the calculations that you really need to sit down with your advisor and run. If you want, we can have someone in our office reach out and give you a call and explain in much more detail without you giving all your personal information over the airways here and how to go about setting that up in your family. Does that make sense to you? Yep. Yeah, well, thank you so much. I appreciate that, especially, you know, because I was a little concerned with the 4% return being so conservative. I think that you could probably have done a little bit better. But, again, I don't know your whole situation. And, you know, if you are going to spend that money down, you want it to be not so volatile. But at the same time, I don't know what your other resources are, and I don't know what your planning stuff is and what your expenses are and your income and things like that. But you need to sort of rework the financial plan because oftentimes it will work out the way that I just described it for you, putting more money in your pocket of your own dollars versus letting the government save some of their own, okay? Okay, great. So, yep, let me go ahead and put you on hold, and we'll have someone give you a call next week about how to maximize out the Social Security benefits for you and your family and take a look at your IRA. On the line with us is Martha from Leesburg. What's your question for Larry? I want some advice on whether or not to invest in BD. Companies. 
There are two I've looked at in our area, GLAD and ARCC. ARCC, Ares Capital, and GLAD is Gladstone Capital. Yes, I'm familiar with BDCs. You know, it's an alternative type of an investment, so you're only allowed to put a certain amount of money into them based off of your net worth, okay? Right. Because they are illiquid and they are... In some cases, you know, it's an aggressive type of fixed income or bond allocation in your portfolio. You have to take a look at the risk of, hey, if it doesn't work, what you're going to lose versus the income, you know, the yield that you're going to receive off of it. What are the pro and cons? <clears throat> I know they go up, They you invest because of the dividends. And what will cause the dividend to go down? And you're looking also for the company to go up. One day when that trust becomes public, they're going to evaluate all the companies in there. And if it's good, the price per share could go up. If it's bad, the price per share could go down. Okay. So they do have a limited basis, in other words. They're, at some time, they're going to go out. Yes, they will stop putting dollars into that trust, if you will. It'll get filled up. In other words, they've, they've gone out and raised enough capital on that. Okay? So big thing there with me on this is to make sure that you understand the holdings inside of it. Okay? Because they're not as conservative as one may think that they are. But that doesn't mean that, that, doesn't mean that it's a wrong investment. Okay, just understand the reactions in good times and in bad times, what's going on. And the yield, the dividend on them are very attractive, actually, right now. But yes. you're going to give up a lot of liquidity and penalties if you want to get out early. You so have penalties if you get out early? In some cases, you do, yes. There's multiple trusts. There's multiple offerings from these different firms. I'll put you on hold, Martha. Bob will get your information, and we'll give you a call next week on BDCs, okay? Thank you very, very much. I enjoy Absolutely. your program every week. Well, Thank I appreciate you. it. Thank you for calling, Martha. You have a great, great weekend, and I'll place you on hold here. Sandra, thanks for calling the Larry Rosenthal Show. You're on with Larry. A few years time, I'll be 50. I haven't save anything towards my retirement yet, and I want to know what will be the best solution or best way to go about it. Sandra, where do you work? I work with a marketing company. Do they have a retirement plan for you? No. What I would do is I'd sit down and take a look at your budget and see where you can cut expenses or minimize them from time to time each month and start saving money for yourself. Also ask yourself if you want to stay in the same house that you're in right now and what is the projection to have that place paid for. Because one day when you ultimately have to retire, either because you can't go back to work or nobody will invite you back, because you know we do age out of our jobs in our 70s and 80s, we need to make sure that housing is affordable and it's comfortable. And without having adequate means right now saved up, we need to hurry up and get on that train of starting to save some dollars. It's not too late. That's the good news. The hard part about this whole 
project right now, Sandra, is getting it off the ground and started for yourself. I'll send you out our financial planning toolkit. I'll put you on hold here, and Bob will get your information. We'll send you out our financial planning toolkit, and it'll help you start the process of taking a look at your income, your expenses, and start asking you some probing, open-ended type questions on what your goals are and your time horizon to go about retiring and how much money that you may need to live off of for your retirement goals to be accomplished. So I'm going to go ahead and do that. I'll place you on hold here, and we'll send you out that financial planning toolkit. Leander's online with us. Go ahead, Leander. What's your question for Larry? I'm just retired from the government 50 years, and I just received a letter from my thrift savings plan where they indicated that they closed the loan, and they within 60 days I had to indicate which way should I go, rollover or IRA or Roth. IRA. You want to roll that over into a regular IRA simply because if you roll it over to a Roth, you'll pay taxes on all of it. Now, a Roth IRA is a good vehicle to get some tax-free income down the road, but if you're not in a position to pay the taxes on the balance of your TSP, then roll it over to a traditional IRA. How do I start that process? Okay, Leander, here's what happens. There's a special TSP form, Thrift Savings Plan form, that you need to fill out. I have some in my office. We'll get it over to you, okay, and help you with the rollover. Let me put you on hold. Bob will get your information, and then I'll have Dina give you a call, one of our advisors next week, to help you initiate with the Thrift Savings Plan rollover so there's no taxes for you. Thank you for dialing in, Tyrone. Tyrone, you're on with Larry. Go right ahead. I want to take a home equity loan out on my home. And this is the first time, and the home was purchased about seven years ago. Purchased for about one twenty-nine, and I would like to know uh, what are the standard procedures to go about getting this loan. First of all, you have to have equity inside your home. Do you know what the value of your home is today? I think someone said about one twenty-five, one thirty. Okay, and how much do you owe on the home? I owe about 71. Okay. Here's the process that you need to go through. You do have equity inside the property, okay? So you need to contact a mortgage lender. If you don't know of one, I can put you on hold, and Chris can get your information, and I can send you out one that can start you down the road in that process if you would like. And then that way, he or she can explain everything to you. But with what you're looking at doing... All you need to do is compete on rates. You want to get the cheapest rate as you possibly can and the best program for your time frame. So, Tyrone, I'm going to go ahead and and place you on hold, and uh, we'll send you out some information on how to go about doing that. If you know a mortgage person in in your hometown, contact him or her, whatever you're more comfortable with. But that's what you really need to do. Those are the people that are going to start it for you. You are listening to the Larry Rosenthal Show. Here's your phone number, 855-767-3123. And don't forget that number rings in the offices during the week. They don't charge for questions. 855-767-3123. 855-767-3123. You're listening to the Larry Rosenthal Show. Dana, thanks for calling the Larry Rosenthal Show. Go ahead with your question. I know is I have two adoptive daughters. I mean, that's not really important, but I have $6,000 each for them. They're 11 and 13. What do I do with that money to gain some kind of interest out of it? Well, where is it right now, Dana? It's just sitting in the bank. 
What is your goal with the money? They just use it when they get older for college, for expenses, for whatever they need it for. Well, if you want to use it specifically for college, then I would suggest putting it into a qualified 529 college savings program. If you're not sure what you want to use it for, then you can look at putting it into a uniform gift to minors account. The bank or any brokerage house or mutual fund company can open up either one of these for you. Okay? Call you. It's called UGMA, U-G-M-A, Uniform Gift to Minors Act. Basically what you're doing there is giving a gift of the money to your minor children today. You can make the investment decisions on it. And when they're 18, they get the money. And they can use it for college if they want, or they can use it to go to the beach for a couple of months if they oh want. Oh, my to. gosh. Yeah, and so. Like is better. Well, it depends on if you want to use it specifically for college. The third way to do it is just keep the money in your name, you invest it, and then you determine what you're going to do with it for your kids down the road. Okay, okay? and if I do that, what's the best vehicle for me today to put it in? Well, it depends. If you wanted to put it into some growth, then I would look down the road to some moderate balance type mutual funds. Okay, good. I like that third idea. Perfect. Okay. Well, I appreciate the phone call. Thanks for calling Making Money Sense. This is the Larry Rosenthal Show. Now, here's Larry Rosenthal. Looks like Gail's got a mortgage question for us. Gail, go ahead with that question. Thanks for calling the Larry Rosenthal Show. I'd like to ask a question about the mortgage situation today. How should a person make the decision in paying extra on the mortgage, or should we put money aside to refinance? Well, Gail, that is a great question, and it is a huge financial planning conversation. So I love the way you asked the question, how should someone make the decision to do this? First question that I'd fire back at you is, are you going to stay in this house forever? Yes. Okay. Then the next question that I would look at doing is what I would call a tax allocation scenario. Do you have most of your money saved in a place that's never been taxed before, like a retirement plan? I have most of my money in the bank, and I do have a TSP. The answer to your question, which is how do you make this decision, I'm trying to go down that road here, is what is your mortgage payment each month? About 3200 so if you were to retire today, would you be able to make that payment easy? Yes. With your pension and investment income? Yes. Okay. Then if that's the case, then now we have to go to the calculator and say, okay, how much money do you owe on your house? About 500000 The question becomes now, where are you going to get that $500,000 to pay off the mortgage? And if so, will you have enough money remaining so that you're not in a situation where you become house rich and cash poor? So the question then is, if you start putting money in each month, suppose you start doubling up your mortgage payments. When you get down the road to retirement, if you still have the means to make that mortgage payment for you and it's easy to make, then... You're going to have to refinance to lower your mortgage payment because of the extra principal you've put in, all right? So we really need to sit down and take a look at it. But here's the bottom line. I'm a huge fan of no debt, and I do know people that pay their house off as soon as they can and people that will never pay their house off because they don't want to put money inside their house because they understand the math that the money inside the house doesn't provide an income. It just goes up or down based off the value of the property. 
So this is really a, a little bit deeper question than I can answer for you on the radio, but this gives you some good talking points about it. What I would really suggest in your case, Gail, here is to look at doing what's called an equity endowment plan, which instead of putting the extra money into your house now, put the money into maybe a municipal bond fund where you're getting a oh, 4 or 5% okay. tax-free yield because that money is growing at a compound interest rate. And a mortgage payment, when you make a mortgage payment, it's simple interest on a declining balance. And when you put money into an investment, it's compound interest on an appreciating sum. So I would look at putting extra money into the mortgage payment versus putting the money into a side fund, which we just simply call in my industry an equity endowment plan, because one day you'll pull that money out to pay the house off or to supplement extra mortgage payments. But really, I would suggest to get the correct answer is to sit down with a financial advisor to show you how to work all this out, because there's nine different ways to manage the equity inside of your home. So if you're not sitting down with a financial advisor doing that, then you can shoot me an email to clue me in at makingmoneysense.com. Again, that's just clue me in at makingmoneysense.com, and my office will send you out some information on how to start doing the math on this to see what's best for you, whether you should pay this home off or accelerate payments and how much acceleration of those payments you should do each month. Okay? Great. Thank you so All right. much. You're welcome. I appreciate the phone call. Have a wonderful weekend. More information to help you meet your financial goals coming up on The Larry Rosenthal Show. You're listening to The Larry Rosenthal Show, 855-767-3123, 855-ROSE123, or LarryRosenthal.com. I'm 65. I plan on working, God willing, another 10 or so years. Um, I have a pension plan that I would not touch probably till then, but I have a rollover IRA that's pretty considerable, and I've been burned, you know, in the past by the market. So I've been the last probably eight or nine years, I've just invested in laddered CDs, which are really safe, and you know, I'm producing income. But is there something better, maybe like good quality corporate bonds or something that would be almost as safe to invest in? Steve, in looking at a market-based solution and no annuities, the answer is yes, because as your laddering of your CDs are maturing and they're rolling over, you're getting very, very low rates of return. I would take a look at a short-duration bond fund, okay? What is that? A short-term duration bond fund. Okay. Very low volatility, principle very, very stable. Those are really what the industry is offering as a competitive alternative versus bank CDs today. I got it. I got it. Okay. And I guess most brokerages offer those, or I could go online and find something like that. They do, and there's some tricks with the different ones. You've got to really look to the underlying assets as to why one's yielding more versus the other one. You can get into some credit quality issues where it can be deemed a high credit quality, but maybe they don't have a lot of triple A's. They just have A's and double A's. So depending on the safety of the credit quality of the issuer that you desire is going to dictate the yield on it. And then you're going to have to look at the duration or the length of the bonds. And in this marketplace where you are, you'd like to have a little bit short duration. If you wanted to go a little bit more high yield, you want your duration to push out a little bit further. So depending on how stable you want your principal, you're going to have several choices there in which to choose from. But if you understand the different choices, you're going to be happy when you make your solution versus renewing a CD at today's CD rates. 
Okay, well, thanks a lot. Get a free financial planning toolkit now. Go to LarryRosenthal.com or call 855-ROSE-123. Thanks for calling the Larry Rosenthal Show. Welcome aboard. First of all, I would like to say thank you for what you're doing, and God bless, God bless you for all the help you're giving us. I've been a long-time listener. Well, thank you. Um, my question is regarding your annuity. How do okay. you get out the company that you go with, and is the money guaranteed, just like the savings by the FDIC? Well, money inside an annuity contract is not guaranteed by the FDIC. That's only for bank products. The money is guaranteed by the credit quality of the insurance company. So the insurance companies get analyzed each year by the state insurance commissioner's office, and they get ratings put out on them. So you want to be with an insurance company that has very good solvency rating numbers. And there's tons of them out there, tons and tons of them out there. So I'm not too concerned about the insurance companies going under because they have such a high high requirement for the reserves, a little bit higher than FDIC, actually. So that's one of the first things that you have to sort of look at. You want to be with an insurance company that has high solvency rating issues. And then on the first part of that split-funded annuity concept now, you want to take a look at the company that's basically going to give you the highest payout. You know, some companies will say, okay, if you're female, let's say age 64, here's the rate we'd give you. And another company would say, here's the rate we're going to give you, and it's a little bit better or a little bit worse. So it all comes down to the solvency of the company and what rate they're going to give you on the payout. Then on the second half of that split-funded annuity concept, when you're looking at funding the money for the next 10 years – you might use a whole different insurance company for that portion of it because okay. that's based off of, again, the solvency of the insurance company and the type of product that they have designed for that second leg of it to double up again in those 10 years on that income bucket, if you will. So there's a little bit of work involved in understanding which insurance companies to use. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of times people end up using two different insurance companies because it diversifies the money and the second bucket of money that's going to be doubling up over those 10-year period of time for the income Mm -hmm. bucket side, they usually have special products that the first company doesn't really have. So most people end up using two different companies. A little complicated answer, but very simple. It doesn't take that long to really take a look at it. And what's interesting here, Nell, is a lot of people have money sitting in old annuities that this can work for. They think they have to come up with new money, and that's not the case. People just need to understand how to make this concept work. It's not a product. It's a strategy. That's all it is is a strategy, and a lot of people already have money saved in annuities or bond accounts or whatever that this strategy can work for, and you can get a substantial increase on your income, and it can be an increase for life too. Is there any particular company that you can recommend off the top of your head right now? You know, Nell, I try to stay away from recommending on the air companies and mutual funds and things like that. Yes, I have a listing of companies that we're always doing our due diligence on in the office as far as solvency issues and things like that goes, and there's several of them. And they're the big box, a lot of the big-name companies. Some of them you may not have heard of, but for the most part, a lot of big brand-name companies like that. 
if you wanted more details, I'll just ask you to stay on hold, and I can give okay. you some some names. Okay. So and let me, do you have more information about this split funding in your website? I'm okay. quite positive that I do under the reports section and articles and things. Let me put you on hold, and I'll get this information to you. For more information about how Larry and his team can help you, go to LarryRosenthal.com. Frank is calling in here on the Larry Rosenthal Show. Appreciate the phone call, Frank. If you'd like to dial in, 855-767-3123. Go right ahead, Frank. Because I'm retired, I'm getting Social Security. My son is still a student. He's getting money from Social Security, $1,092 a month. It's being directly deposited into a savings account for him to be used for his expenses and such. Well, we've just been saving this money for him. It's kind of stockpiling in the savings account that's getting little interest. And he's got about 14000 in it right now. And he'll be getting it till age 18. Now, what should we be doing with this money that we don't really want to use this money for him? We want to save it for Saving it for him is using it for him. You're able to get by without having to use it for his benefit then then just invest the money for his benefit down the road. How should we invest it? Well, it depends on what the investment objective is for your son with the dollars. If you want it to be used for college, then we need to put it into appropriate plans for that. But you said he's 17? Yes. Where is the money now? Is it just sitting in the bank? It's sitting in the bank. It gets direct deposit every month. Do you want the money to go for college? That would work, or down payment on a home when he needs it or something. Well, yeah. I mean, if there's not funds available for college, this would be a good start towards college. And I would probably say that we need to look at putting it into a 529 plan. But since he has only one year left until he's 18 before he goes to college, then I might suggest that we just keep the money in the bank or maybe even put it into some municipal bonds where he can get 4 or 5% yield tax-free with very little principal fluctuation at this stage. That's probably something that we should really take a look at. Why don't I go ahead and circle back around with you, Frank? Let me go ahead and put you on hold, and then we can get more information on all that for you. Okay, great. Thank you. You're listening to The Larry Rosenthal Show on 105.1 FM WAVA. This is the Larry Rosenthal Show. Good morning, Janice. With my limited knowledge here, I believe that annuities is a safe way to grow your money as opposed to investing in the stock markets and mutual funds. And I wanted to ask your opinion on that. Well, on one hand, Janice, I agree. Annuities, first of all, there are three types of annuities. There's a fixed annuity an equity-indexed annuity, and a variable annuity. And the fixed and equity-indexed annuities are a safe way to grow your money. The variable annuity has market exposure, but you can put it in bonds or money market account, and therefore it would be a safe type of a haven as well. The advantage of an annuity is that you can never outlive your money if you annuitize it. Or if you use an equity-indexed annuity or a variable annuity with an income benefit type of a rider on it, then you can never outlive your stream of income through a series of withdrawals. So the main purpose of an annuity is to establish a dependable stream of income from a reliable source to help you maintain your standard of living down the road. And it is something that more and more people are turning to 
because they realize that they have something called longevity risk. In other words, they're screwing up and living too long. <laughs> you take a look at having to live into your 90s now, which is a great blessing from the Lord. At the same time, we have to make sure that our income is coming in from a dependable source with as little risk as possible. So, Janice, wow. here's the bottom line answer to the overall annuity question. There are people in my industry that only sell annuities to their clients, and I think that's wrong. And then there are people out there that never sell annuity to clients, and I think that's wrong as well. I think that clients need to sit down and figure out what it is that they want to try to do with their advisor. And in some cases, maybe you put some money into an annuity and maybe you don't. But it is a very good retirement income protection vehicle to maintain your standard of living down the road. And everybody needs to take a look at the pros and cons of the three different types. They've changed. They have changed so much. I tell you, just 10, 12 years ago, I was not a fan of annuities at all. And as a result of their changes with these guaranteed protection riders that are on them now, they are definitely something that needs to be considered in just about everyone's portfolio out there. Definitely. Okay. I'll tell you what I'll do for you, Janice. Great, great question. I'm going to put you on hold, and then I'm going to get a kit together for you and send you out some information on the annuities, okay? Okay, thank you. Wonderful. Appreciate the phone call. For more information about how Larry and his team can help you, go to LarryRosenthal.com. Always thrilled to get to chat with you. Praise the Lord, you're such an encouragement to my life. And I just had the quick question of if the TSP has the systematic withdrawal option, I think you may have already told us before we saw you a few months back in your office, but just kind of, you know, went in one ear and out the other because you gave us so much information. Not a problem. Well, thank you for your kind words, Stephanie. But, yes, the TSP, you can do a systematic withdrawal option from the government TSP. However, the mutual funds inside of that are not really designed for a very well-performing systematic withdrawal program. So the mutual funds inside the TSP are the CGFS and I funds. Small company stock fund is the S fund. The I fund is international. They are really not designed for that. The C fund is the S&P 500, and that's more designed of growth rather than systematic withdrawal income. The closest thing that you have there is really the F fund, which is the bonds. But the problem there is you don't have the growth to back up shares appreciating over long term in the marketplace. So you can do it from the TSP, but the engine driving the performance on it is really not designed to really do that. So best choice would be there to roll the dollars into your own IRA, and then that way you can get mutual funds out there that are specifically designed to do systematic withdrawal programs. Well, that will do it for this very special edition of the Larry Rosenthal Show. If you'd like to find out more about Larry Rosenthal, go to LarryRosenthal.com on the Internet. The phone number here always, 24-7, seven days a week. If you're not able to get somebody on the line immediately, you can always leave a message. The number is 855-767-3123, 855-ROSE-123. And thank you so much for listening to The Larry Rosenthal Show. For Larry himself, my name is Chris McKay. Have a great week. We'll talk to you again another time on The Larry Rosenthal Show.
Have you ever seen a pest controller spraying chemicals in your home? It makes you wonder, if their chemicals are safe, then why do they suit up and wear respirators only to leave you to walk?